You know, before I begin, let me take a moment and say this has been a joy being with you guys, having the conversations, getting to meet you. Okay. If you need a handout, we have handouts for both my session and Tim's next, so, uh, so Pastor has those. But uh, let me just say thank you. You guys have been a welcoming group. You've been, uh, you, the, the hospitality has been amazing, so I'm really enjoying the conversation. So thank you for allowing us to be here and, and being part of this. You guys are a blessing. So, All right. Now, with that said, we are going to go uh, kind of fast on this, so I hope you had a good lunch. Do you all have a good lunch? You all feel full? You all ready to go? Because the fire hose is about to get going. So um, as I said, if you, if you missed the first service, uh, I, I'm from New Jersey. It's great to be back here. Um, I'm looking forward to, again, meeting some of you. But I, li- I grew up about 80 miles from here, south of here, in Hamilton Township. You know, so coming back and being able to do it for God is wonderful. And after we get done with the two sessions, we are having a question and answer session. So if you have any questions you want to ask, would you please write them down? Um, so because we are online too, so welcome back to the online audience. And that way if we have them written down, we can make sure that we say them so everybody can see them. And Tim is up here in the front row. You can take them to Tim. We'll give them to Pastor, but we'll get them up here. Is that cool? We all good? All right, so anyhow, I am, I am thrilled to be back in New Jersey. When, when Tim said, hey, we got a conference in Jersey, I said, I want to go. You know, so it's, it's wonderful. I do pastor in Phoenix. Lamb and Lion is in, is in Texas. Um, I'm part-time at them, but I also pastor a church in Phoenix. And our church in Phoenix is called Standing Stones Community Church. Do you know what Standing Stones are? I'm going to tell you. Okay, I am told to tell you. Well, we're called Standing Stones. Standing Stones go back to Joshua 4. I remember, we don't do it anymore. We used, to give out, we used to give out CDs for all the services. You know, now it's everything online, so we don't do that. But we used to have CDs. And this one woman was there after service, and we had a whole a stack of them. And she's going through them, and I go, can I help you? She goes, well, I'm looking for last week's message. I said, what's well, probably in this? She goes, no, no, no. Every one of these is Joshua 4. I went, no, that's, the, that's the, where our church is built on. You know, look at the title for the message up here. But Standing Stones comes from Joshua 4 because what that was, the Jordan River was flowing at, studge sta- at flood stage like that. And as it was flowing, they, they wanted to come over into the promised land. But the priests looked at that and they said, well, how do you get across that? So the priests had the, the Ark of the Covenant and they had to come down. And not until, I might get feedback here, not until they put their foot in the water did God do an amazing thing. Out of faith, Folks, it takes faith. Once the faith hit, and they said, we're going to trust God with this, because look at that river. You know, it's, it's flowing like that. So they, they, and then God opens the river. He dries the river up, and about two million of the Israelites cross over into the promised land. They get to go into the promised land. Now, that's pretty cool, but once they get into the promised land, uh, they come up and they say, Joshua, go back into the riverbed while it's dry and get 12 stones. And bring these 12 stones up. Now, these weren't pebbles. These were, you know, these were good-sized stones. And they say, lay them here. And they say, well, why are we doing that? Because we want the next generation, when they come through here, to look at that and say, Daddy, what are those stones for? And we want to be able to tell them what God did. So when you understand that story, see, anybody who goes to our church, I'm, I'm telling them, you are a standing stone. Anybody in this church today, anybody online who's a believer, you are a standing stone, which means people should look at you. And say, wow, look what God has done. And that makes you a standing stone. That's what the, name, the church is named after. And if, if you knew me when I, when I was growing up in Jersey, compared to me now, you know God did a miracle work. <laughs> you know God did a miracle work. So anyhow, that's, that's what it is. We are going through the book of Revelation. Now, this was Old Testament side, right? You guys were New Testament. Was that correct? You had Daniel. All right. You guys need them to understand you. 
<laughs> Without them, you guys would be lost. And that's what I'm doing. We're, we're going to look at this, and we're going to look at the understanding the book of Revelation, because people say, that book, ah, that book is so hard, it's so scary, and the church is not reading it. But we have to understand it. Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is Jesus giving us his message. He says that which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So John gets this vision. He's on the island of Patmos. He gets this vision. Now, here's the part you have to, have, have to understand. Verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and... Blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written because the time is near. Folks, if you know God, answer this question. Would God give you a blessing, not even a blessing, but a double blessing, and then make it hard to understand? No. Would God give you a double blessing and then make it scary for you to understand? No, there's a double blessing there. Blessed is the one who reads, and blessed are those who hear and take it to heart. We have a double blessing here, and people's reaction to this, saying, well, it's confusing or it's fearful, it's not, it's not true. How many people think God's word is sweet? Raise your hand if you think God's word is sweet. There you go. Psalm 119 tells us that. Psalm 119, verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Sweeter than honey then why be afraid of the book of Revelation? If God's word is so sweet, why be, why be a, uh, afraid or scared or, or to not read it? I can't tell you how many times when people know I, I, I speak and I preach on Bible prophecy and I ask them about this book, they go, oh, no, 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 no. That book is scary. That book is hard to understand. I don't get any of it. We're going to walk through that. If that's where you're at now, you can be there now, but you, you can't stay there because we're going to walk you through how to do this. But basically... When you look at the book of Revelation, people are afraid of it or scared of it because they're not reading it. We're just not into the word of God. Lifeway Research has come out and said that 13% of Americans, 13% of Americans read the Bible regularly. God bless you, 13%. They came out and they said 30% of Americans read the Bible occasionally, Easter and Christmas maybe. But 57% of Americans come out and say they do not read the Bible. So when you put the ones who read it occasionally with the ones who don't read it, about 90% of Americans are not reading the Bible. Not in the God's Word. And this is a survey where people themselves are saying that. Now, it's just not here. You know, what's happening in Israel, this, is, this carries over to the Holy Land as well. When you look at that, only 16% of Jews read the Torah. 16% of Jews read the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Now, when you look at Israel, it's a, it's a mixed population of, of Jews and Arabs. You know, so you've got Muslims over there. It, it's a half a billion people. When you look at this, this, the Middle East, it's a half a billion people not reading the Christian scriptures. Whether they be Arabs, whether they be Muslims, whether they be you know, Jews, they're not reading the Christian scriptures. So look, you got, at this world right now, you've got a half a billion people not reading God's word over there in the Holy Land. You've got 90% of Americans not reading God's word, and we wonder why our world is a world of chaos and not faith. Why are we in chaos and not faith? Because we're not in God's word. So what we're going to do is we're going to understand the book of Revelation, but here's the key. You only understand it if you look at the Old Testament. You will not, you cannot understand it unless you really understand the Old Testament. I'm going to give you two quick examples. Um, oh, how the mighty have fallen. When you hear that, what do you think? 
Oh, it gets quiet in here. Where's your mind go? I cannot wait for the, our Jewish brothers and sisters. They probably won't read it. They're going to live through the tribulation period, and they're going to live through the book of Revelation because their mind's going to go all the way back to King Saul. They're going to go to 2 Samuel. When you talk about, oh, how the mighty have fallen, the, the, the Jews go back there because that goes to King Saul. When you look at the book of Revelation, it's kind of like, well, here. Okay, Christmas is coming up. What movie is this? We're all going to see it. We've seen it before. Now, what, have you ever watched a movie or a TV show, and you're about two-thirds of the way through, and then someone like me comes in and says, what are you watching? <laughs> oh, well, well, who is that guy? Well, he's an angel. Well, he doesn't look like an angel. Why is he an angel? Well, who's the people behind him? Well, and I ask all kinds of questions. What, what do you do at that point? Don't you politely in the Christian love say, will you shut up? <laughs> in Christian love, of course. You know, I want to know who is that person and why is that person. You're two-thirds of the way through the story. You understand it. And here I am coming in towards the end, not having a clue who the characters are, what the story is, or anything else. And folks, you look at that and you go, well, of course. But we do the same thing with the Bible. We have the last book of the Bible. And we haven't looked at the first part of the Bible. We haven't read the Old Testament. We haven't read this. And we come in saying, well, I don't understand this. Well, who is that? And why is that? And what? And we had the same kind of conclusion. So we're going to go through this and very quickly. I'm saying it's going to be a very quickly thing, but we're going to go through this, understand the book of, all, the book of Revelation through the Old Testament. You know, two-thirds of the Bible is Old Testament. Two-thirds of the Bible is the Old Testament. And you cannot understand the last book of the Bible unless you understand the whole Bible. And that, that's just kind of the way it is. So when you say, oh, how the mighty have fallen. King Saul, what he did is he went against God. He sinned against God. King Saul was king. But he was removed. He lost his position. Why? Because he sinned against God. So God removed that from him and put it on David. So he said, oh, how the mighty have fallen. So when you hear that, when the, when the Jewish mind, Old Testament mind hears that, they don't think, well, you know, someone fell in this or someone. No, they go back to King Saul. What did King Saul do? He, he sinned against God. So when you sin against God, what happens? You fall away from God. You know, or you, you, could, you could lose whatever God is the blessing that God's given you. So, oh, you take it in context, and you bring it over, and then it starts to begin to make, to understand. Another one. Uh, well, yeah, okay. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Now, when I say that, you might just think, well, listen up. You know, the speaker's trying to talk to you. Just listen to what he's saying, you understand it. But that's not what it means. When you, when you see that in the book of Revelation, where your mind should go is right back to these two mountains. Because on these two mountains is where Moses brought the entire nation of Israel. He brought them up, this is Deuteronomy 27 and 28. And he read the law to them. And he said, I lay before you life and death, blessings and curses, but choose life. So when it says, when you say, he who has ears, let him hear. Because Moses said that. I lay before you life and death. He who has ears, let him hear. I lay before you your blessings and cursings. Choose this. If you have ears, hear this. And we don't understand what that means. See, when you see it in the book of Revelation, you think, well, that, that just means we've got to listen to it. And then we start, here's what I tell people too. Do not put human reasoning into Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. If you want to understand the Scriptures, then you look at Scripture and it will interpret itself. You'll see where it says that. Because in human reasoning, we'll look at it and go, well, I think this means. And we put our mind into it and we're completely out of context. We're completely off subject. And then we're taking God's word and making it mean something that does not mean. 
So he who has ears, let him hear. There's just two quick examples to understand this. You go back to Deuteronomy 11, you go back to Deuteronomy 27. Mount Gerizim was the blessing, Mount Ebal was the curses. Folks, I lay before you understanding. Life and death, choose life. I've written a whole book on this. You know, this whole book here is, is what that is. In fact, I have over 400 verses in the Old Testament here. Do you know the Bible is copywritten? Were you aware of that? In order to publish this book, I had to pay uh, Zondervan a fee because I used so much of the Bible. You know, but you couldn't understand Revelation unless you did that. I take it verse by verse and I explain all the Old Testament passages, which you're going to uh, get a taste about in a few minutes. Revelation chapter 1 is all about Jesus. Revelation 2 is about the church. Revelation 3 is about the church. Jesus walking through the lampstands. We're kind of told what they are there. But, you know, when you look at this, people kind of argue and say, well, you know, where is the church in Scripture? Where is the church in the end times? What happens with the church in the end times? You know it's not mentioned? Well, you know where else the church is not mentioned? In the 70 weeks of Daniel. When you go back to the Old Testament, the, the church is not mentioned in the 70 weeks of Daniel. Um, the Jews, they're allowed to return to the homeland. They're from Babylon. Jesus rides into Jerusalem. You know, he was received as a king on a donkey. We had that early with Zechariah. Then there's a pause. When Jesus comes in on, on, on the Palm Sunday, that stops. There's a pause in the 70 weeks. The last week of the, of the time of Daniel is still yet to come. And that time frame, we don't talk about. In fact, we don't talk a whole lot about the book of Daniel and the 70 weeks. Just because I teach on the rapture, you know, that, that gets people in a tizzy. You know, you know the book, you know the word rapture is not in the Bible. I go, oh, Dang, I missed that part. <laughs> it's not in the Bible? No, it's not in the Bible. Oh, okay. But do you believe in the Trinity? Do you? It's not in the Bible. Do you believe in the incarnation, that Christ came to earth? You know the word incarnation? Not in the Bible. Hmm. How about, how about, how about the, the divinity? Do you believe that God is divine? Jesus is divine? not in the Bible, per se. But the concept is very clearly throughout Scripture. We understand the Trinity. From the, very, from, from the beginning of Genesis, we understand the Trinity. We understand the incarnation that Christ came down to earth. We understand the Himian divinity. Do you believe that one day is going to be a one-world government, a one-world religion, a one-world financial system? Do you believe that? Where's that in the Bible? Not in the Bible. Now, my concept is... The mark of the beast becomes the, the, the one world financial system. The fact that he's going to, you know, uh, the abomination and desolation in the temple becomes the one world religion. But so by concept it is. And if you want to get what Jerome and the Latin, the word rapture is in there. But you, you kind of get through this. You go through all this kind of stuff. You know, it's just God wants relationship with us. And that's why we have to understand the entire part of the Bible. I don't know about you, but in New Jersey, I went out from the hotel last night. I looked up. I could see the stars. I live in Phoenix. I live in a big city. Yeah, there's concrete everywhere. You know, in my backyard, I can go out sometimes and look up and I see the stars. I don't know about you, but I enjoy just sitting down late at night, looking up and enjoying the stars. Anybody, are you all with me on that? That's kind of neat. I look at scripture and I know that God created the stars, that he sustains the stars. I even know he named the stars. But when you look at Genesis chapter one, how many words are there about the stars? Anybody? It's in chapter one, verse 16. Five words. God goes through all this creation, and he says, and he created the stars too. 
I don't know about you, but I think the stars are worth more than five words. Especially, especially as you start going into the Torah, into the first few books of the Bible, because you get chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter of the tabernacle. You, you know what kind of material it's made out of. You know the dimensions. You know where it's at. You know who can carry it. You know what tribe can have it. Then you get chapter after chapter about the sacrifice system, what animals could be, what had to be done. Then you get chapter after chapter about the priesthood, who's qualified to be a priest, what they have to do, the clean garments, what garments they wear. You get all these things thrown at you, and you look at this, and you say, well, wait a minute. What about the stars? Why do we have chapter after chapter about these things? But we get five words about something as cool and amazing as the stars. It's because God's all about relationships. It's all about relationships. And when you look at the tabernacle, every aspect of the tabernacle points to Jesus. Every aspect of the tabernacle points to Jesus. In the Gospel of John, you have the seven I am statements. Jesus said, I am what? I am what? I am the bread, I am the light, I am the door, somebody said. Now, when you look at this, we're told in the Old Testament that the tribes were, were, had assigned seating. I love assigned seating. How many of you are in the same seat now you were in an hour ago after lunch? Yeah, see? At home, I love assigned seating because I can come in and sit on my stage, sit on an empty stage, look around and start praying for people because I know who sits where. If we get a visitor come in and they sit in the seat that someone, you know, has claimed, oh, <laughs> pastor, they're in my seat. I said, well, go, go share with them. You know, there was, there was one Sunday, it came on April 1st, April Fool's Day, and unbeknownst to me, my congregation got behind my back and decided to switch up seats. So I came, I came up to preach, I looked out, and I go, you don't belong there. You don't, what do you, I had no idea who was there and who wasn't there. Because you know, with assigned seats, I, I can pray for you. I know where people are. I know who's not there. Same thing happened back in this time. Each tribe was assigned an area to go. So if, you're, if, this, if this is your tribe here, and it gets big, and you're way out here, wouldn't it be nice to have a door to come in here? And if your tribe is down here, if you're in the south, if you're in the south tribe and you're down here, wouldn't it be nice just to be able to walk up and go here and not have to come all the way around? But God says there's one way. There's only one way in. Jesus Christ. Well, it doesn't matter what religion you go to. It doesn't matter what church you go to. It doesn't matter what God you pray to. Well, that's human reasoning. It's not true. And again, the Old Testament tells us everything with that. When, when Jesus was on the cross, when you come in the first way in, what do you see? You see an altar high and lifted up. And then how do you go to, to the holy? How do you approach the holy? You've got to be washed first. You've got to be washed. And then you've got the holy of holies where the presence of God is. When Jesus died on the cross, what was torn? The temple veil was torn by God, top to bottom, allowing you and I access into the Holy of Holies, meaning that we can spend time in prayer in the throne of God. They couldn't do that in the Old Testament. Everything about this points towards Jesus. So you've got to understand the Old Testament. You know, at Mount Sinai, Moses grew up there. Most people, when I talk to him, what did Moses get on Mount Sinai? Well, he got the Ten Commandments. He did, but he got so much more. So he goes up there, he gets the Ten Commandments, he spends time with God, people thought something happened, he comes back down, what's happening? The people are sinning. The golden calf is happening. Moses, in those moments of intense fellowship, throws down the first set, has to go back up, get a second set. You know, so he goes up there, he comes back down. But while he was up there, he learned so much more. God gave him so much more. Again, what we just talked about. He said, how, do, how does sinful people come before a holy God? 
See, we are, we are sinful. We can't go before. Holiness and sinfulness cannot coexist. So how do we do this? How do we worship you, God? Tell me this. He said, okay, this is how you do it. You, you have a priesthood. You know, the priesthood would be able to come before me on, on your behalf. You, you have, well, where do we do it? You do it in the tabernacle. I'm going to show you where the tabernacle is. Okay, well, that's how and where. Well, well when do we do it? I'm going to give you Sabbaths to do this. I'm going to give you special festivals, you know, doing these feast times. This is when. This is how, where, when. Now you can come and worship me. This is why we have chapter after chapter after chapter explaining all these things. I want more words on the stars, but God is, compared, God is concerned about relationship. God is concerned about us being together with this and understanding that. So again, John 7, I am statements. You have the elements of the tabernacle right there. I am the way, I am the bread, I am the light. Jesus says these. The altar of prayer in John chapter 17 is right there. Does that make sense to you? If we miss the Old Testament, we miss all this. Now, the sacrifice system. Jesus is baptized. And when Jesus is baptized, actually, one of my favorite things over in Israel is baptizing people in the Jordan River. Um, it's very intimate. I take my time. We go out there. You know, I, I, we have a conversation. Then we baptize them. And there was a whole family one time got baptized. And they took a picture of their, of their daughter. And behind the daughter, a dove actually was in the picture. Yeah, see, that was the reaction everybody got. And I go, that's an amazing shot. It's a once-in-a-lifetime shot. And I go, I go, but you know, when the baptism, what happened with the voice? Does anybody know what happened in heaven? What did the Father say? What does that mean? There's a sacrifice system. This sacrifice, I accept. See, to have, bring a sacrifice. This is why God said you're going to get chapter after chapter after chapter. In order to bring a sacrifice to me, it has to be it has to be without, without sin, without no blemish, has to be perfect, has to be innocent, and I have to accept it. Don't bring me your sick cow. Don't bring me your lame bull. Don't bring me this. Bring me something that's going to cost you something because it's going to cost me my son. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you, the, my son's going to be sinless. My son's going to be perfect. He's going to be blameless, and he's going to be innocent. And, and I'm going to, when the voice came down both there and at the transfiguration of Mount Tabor, the voice came down saying, this sacrifice... I accept, you know, and we missed that part. We just think it was cool that the Holy Spirit was there as a dove. But when you look at the elements of the tabernacle in the Old Testament, it's all there. You know, in Genesis 4, why did God reject Cain's, uh, Cain's sacrifice? You know, same reason. It was just, you know, the Father's voice tells that. Now, as you, as you look at this going on, Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, here's an example. His hair, his head and hair were white like wool and white as snow. What does that mean? It means he was old. No, it doesn't mean that at all. Well, what do you get? Well, that, that's human reasoning. Daniel chapter 7 talks about God in the ancient of days. And it says in context that his hair was white as wool. So if your mind says go back to Daniel, you missed that in the Old Testament. Okay, now we get going. You, get, you ready for the fire hose? Here we go. His eyes are like blazing fire, Revelation 1. Well, that's Psalm 2, Isaiah 10, Daniel 7, Ezekiel 20. His feet were like bronze, Revelation 1. Well, that goes back to 1 Kings 8, Exodus 27, 2 Kings 16, 2 Chronicles 1, which means judgment. You take that Old Testament passage, you bring it over Revelation chapter 115, you get, okay, it's a picture of him coming as judge. His voice was like the rushing water, Revelation 1. Mouth like a double-edged sword. You know, that's Jeremiah, that's Psalms, that's Deuteronomy, that's Isaiah. His face shined like the sun. That's Numbers chapter 6, verse 25. It's all there. If we understand the Old Testament, it, it all says it. It becomes very easy when you understand the rest of the book. And you just, you just bring it over. It says that his, his, he was in Leviticus and Exodus. 
He was dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, this is Revelation 1, verse 13, with a sash around his chest. Okay, well, that's a picture of Jesus coming back as judge, coming back. But if you look at what that looks like in the priesthood, Exodus 28 talks about the sacred garments. Again, chapter after chapter about this. It included a robe and a sash. Leviticus 8, chapter 7 talks about um, Aaron, the first high priest, dressed in a robe and a sash. Jesus is our ultimate high priest. The way he's dressed, the way it comes in, it goes back and gives a very clear picture. Okay, well, that makes sense, but this book is still scary. You know, there's a double blessing there. He is not going to, going to make it hard for you. Well, how about this, for example? What about these four living creatures? They have eyes all around them. What is that? That is so scary. That is so weird. You just can't understand that. Well, no, not on the, uh, just by opening it and, and reading it. You may not, but if you go to Ezekiel chapter 10, you will. Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 12, you know, what is this and how do you understand this? Well, angels are watching around. They have eyes completely around everything. God is watching everything. He's everywhere and everywhere. He sends his angels for this. Zechariah has the same passage. He sends them around the earth to look around. So Ezekiel's, in Ezekiel's context, it was that God was looking around and he was about to bring judgment upon Jerusalem. Folks in John, John and Ezekiel see the same thing. But while Ezekiel is talking about Jerusalem specifically, John is talking about the rest of the world. Judgment's not going to come upon Jerusalem by itself. Judgment's going to come upon the entire world in the end times. Oh, that will preach. And we're getting there now. So when you understand this, when you see Ezekiel and you see Zechariah, that becomes part of what we understand. How about these locusts? You know, they, they torture men for five months, so much so that men just plead to die, but death's taken off the table. You've got to suffer this. You know, now, if, if you go to work tomorrow... Or, or Monday, whenever you go, and they say, you know what, you're a Christian. I was opening the Bible, and I just kind of opened up this book of Revelation, and it talked about these locusts. What are they? And you would say what? Yeah, what are they? Well, you got to go to Ezekiel and 1 Kings and Deuteronomy and, and, and Psalm and Genesis to understand that. You know, Genesis chapter 7, verse 24, it talks about the flood. This is where my, my mind goes with this passage. How long, I'm not, not how long did it rain, 40 days and 40 nights, but how long was the earth covered with water? Say that. This is the Old Testament side. These guys are silent over here. <laughs> exactly, 150 days. How many, how many months is that? Five months, 30 days into 150. New Testament needs to work on math too, but that's okay. <laughs> the, there you go. There you go. So, so what is this talking about? Locusts torturing men for five months. What was the purpose of the flood? What did God do? You take that in context and you bring it over. What are these locusts trying to do? Trying to turn hearts to God to repent and get right with God. You know, for how long? Five months. Why? That's how long God covered the earth. Not how long it rained, but how long it covered the earth. And we, we, we get that. It just comes very clear as you understand this. Okay, how about this one? A woman clothed the sun and with the moon under her feet with the crown of 12 stars on her head and about to give birth. What in the world does this mean? How do you understand that? How do you open this book and understand that? Well, again, if you come to the movie at the end, you're not going to understand. But if you see the whole movie, you understand. If you look at this book here, well, in Genesis chapter 37, verse 9, Joseph has a dream. And as Joseph has a dream, Jacob hears it and understands that he was the sun. He understands that Rachel was the moon and the 12 brothers were the stars. What was the purpose of Joseph's dream? 
See, you end up getting Jacob out of that, and Jacob becomes Israel. So the woman is Israel about to give birth. And who, who is Israel giving birth to? The Messiah. It's all Old Testament. It's all Old Testament right there in front of us. Revelation 12, red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. Oh, I'm getting a headache just looking at this. Uh, okay, what, I, I don't, what, what is all this? You know, red devil, seven heads, ten horns. Oh, okay, what, are we, what is this? Well, red is, goes to the Satan, crowns of nations that has power, he has power over. The horns are kings. So this is the dragon and evil. How do you know that? Psalm 74, Psalm 89, Isaiah 30, Isaiah 51. It goes on. Does that make sense to you? You don't, you don't get that unless you understand in context, in context, the Old Testament. You know, we're warned about, we talked about, Tim talked about this earlier. We're warned about forsaking our first love, Revelation chapter 2. Well, that's Jeremiah 2 and that's Hosea 14. Well, what does Jeremiah 2 mean and what does Hosea 14 mean? Well, Jeremiah 2 said, I remember, I remember your, the devotion you had of your youth, but then you went off and, and you followed worthless idols as he's speaking to Israel. As, a, as your youth, you, you, you totally worshiped me. You were devoted to me. And then you got off and you started to do, you know, worship idols. Hosea chapter 14, it says to, to return to Israel. Return to God in your glory. And Israel has, you know, Hosea has a wife that he has to call back. You know, she's off and in, in, not in glory at all. And he brings her back and accepts her back as God brings us back. As you understand the Old Testament, you understand the, the New Testament, especially the book of Revelation. Understand that the New Testament assumes. You guys have to assume, or, you know, you assume, somebody assumes something, but you have to assume that you know this. Because Paul's writing, Paul, he, is, he enjoyed Isaiah. He didn't quote, he didn't say, I'm quoting Isaiah, I'm quoting Isaiah, but he did quote Isaiah. And as he went through Isaiah, he brought it back up. When Paul was, was as, at the end, when he was desperate, everybody deserted him, and he asked, he asked Timothy to bring me my scrolls, my scrolls. He was probably reading Isaiah again. We just know that because his writing, his writing's very clear. He knew the Old Testament. When Jesus talks about things, he's assuming we know the Old Testament, and he even confirms things, as Daniel said, as Jonah said. You know, he, he brings the Old Testament back up with us. Now, how do we forget, how do we forsake our first love? Church, this is where we need to stop, because we get too focused on tasks. We get too focused on doing things, and, and we, don't, we, don't take, we don't take time to love Jesus. When's the last time you just stopped? And I said, I just want to be with the Lord. I just want to sit in my chair or fall to my knees and just be with the Lord. You know, but there's things to do and you got to get this done. Did you do that? Later. I just want to soak in my time with the Lord. See, then, then your love is there. Because when your love grows cold, it grows cold for, for Jesus, for the church, for the Bible, for the homeless, for the lost, for the poor. We just grow cold completely. And the warning is to the church, do not forsake your first love. Spend time with us. Spend time with me, he says. Revelation chapter 2, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil wants to put some of you in prison. Well, that's, that's good news. Why? To test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death. If we didn't have the verse about 10 days, I'd go, well, this is not encouraging at all. But it can be encouraging if you understand the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1, they tested them for how many days? 10 days. And God was there. You know, some people use Daniel like this, where they say, well, see, that's, that's, I'm telling you, you're supposed to have a vegetarian diet. Look what Daniel did. Had nothing to do with the diet. It had the obedience because they were obedient. If they would have went to the king's table, it was not kosher food. 
and, and they would have they said, well, God, you know, God put us here. He's got to kind of give us a break, right? No, that was not the attitude they had. Daniel said, I cannot do this. I cannot go against my God. And eating this food, even though it's the king's table and the best food in the world, I cannot eat it because it's not kosher. It's not honoring God. And for his obedience, God blessed that. So 10 days later, after they were put to the test, they looked better than anybody else. It wasn't because of the diet. It was because of their obedience and their faithfulness. Revelation 2.10, you'll be put in prison. Be faithful. You know, there's going to be a time where we're going to be challenged, if not already, as Tim brought up one earlier with that. You know, be, be faithful there. You guys okay with me? Okay, so there's a fire hose. There's a lot. I understand that. Revelation 2, 26, 27. You need to persevere to him who overcomes and does my will to the end. That's Isaiah 30, Jeremiah 19, Psalm 2. Stay faithful and persevere. Revelation 2, 26. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Who's he talking about? Jesus, the Messiah. We see, what, we see what's going to be. When you look at Isaiah 30, Jeremiah 19, Psalm 2, all speaks of what happens when pottery is smashed. What happens when pottery is smashed? Who smashed it and what does it mean? You don't get those answers until you get to the Old Testament. When you get those answers, understand that, that God can do anything and God will conquer everything and his kingdom will be everlasting and no one will, will, will conquer it. Then you take that context and you bring it over to Revelation chapter 2 and it begins to make sense. Let me begin. Okay, one of my favorite ones is Revelation 5. It's a scroll with the writing on both sides. Did you realize that the, the Ten Commandments had two sides? You know, when you have the scroll with the writing on two sides, Ezekiel 2, chapter 9, Ezekiel says, you know, God tells Ezekiel to eat the scroll. And he does. It's very sweet. But then it turns bitter. Why does it turn bitter? See, now we can use human reasoning and say, well, I think because of this and because of that, it's bad paper, bad ink, who knows? But it wasn't because of any of that. What does Scripture say? Scripture interprets Scripture. When you look at this, what it was was people would reject the truth. People would refuse to listen. People would rebel against God. You know, and, and when people do that, when you reject the, the Word of God, it becomes very bitter. Talk to, any, talk to your pastor. You know, when you're preaching the word of God and, and people are there and the people reject it and walk away, it hurts. It becomes very bitter. I love the word of God. I, I adore the word of God. But when people reject it, 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 it's a bitterness. It's a pain. It's a hurt. It's a good message for the church because we need to weep over the condition of the world. That's where we're at. You know, what else is written on both sides? Like I said, Ezekiel 32 tells us, I mean, Exodus 32 tells us the Ten Commandments was. When you understand one, you understand the other. The sixth seal. When you look at this, this is a great earthquake. The first, the first four seals are the four horsemen. The Antichrist comes into power. He, brings, he comes into a platform of false peace. He brings a picture of peace. The world's in chaos. They're looking for someone. A charismatic leader comes and says, I got a plan. And he makes a peace pact with Israel. The world grabs that. Then it goes, it's false though, because you go into murder, you go into the horses. You go into war, you go into murder, you go into famine. Not good stuff. The fifth one of the martyrs underneath the, underneath the altar, crying out for justice. I believe there would be more people martyred in that, and this is, again, this is this Bowen theology. I believe there would be more people martyred in that time than maybe all of history put together because there's no gray area. When you get into the tribulation period, which I believe the church will be gone, but when you get into the tribulation period, you're with Christ or you're against Christ. There's no gray area. It's not one foot in the world and one foot in the church. You know, I remember one lady in the church one time, she had two Facebook accounts, one for the church friends, one for the world friends. You see where that's going. One day, she crossed them up. 
and the dancing and the partying and the drinking that she went out to and sent to the church friends. We all went, what? And going to church and praying and being before God for the, to the other friends, they went, what? And she was convicted for that. You can't live that way anymore. Can't live that way anymore. So the fifth seal, then the sixth seal is the great earthquake. Well, what does that mean? Well, again, Exodus, Isaiah, Haggai, Nahum, an earthquake represents God's presence. In the Old Testament, when you look at all those passages, the earthquake represents the presence of God. So what is Revelation 6 then? It's a picture of God's presence. But we just said the fifth seal were all these martyrs, people who died for their faith. Yes, and God is there. Well, how do you know that? Because the earthquake comes and we have, that, we have the presence. Well, the sun becomes black. What is that? That's a call to repentance. But how do you know? That's why I brought that black rock up when I get from Chorazin. What is the, the blackness of what you see here? It's a call to repentance. How do you know that? Isaiah 50, Joel 2, Ezekiel 32. The Old Testament is very clear with that. Y'all with me good? All right, all right. Revelation 6, people try to hide from God. You know, I am pre-tribulation for several reasons, um, but this, this, one of them is here. I don't know about you, but give me some freedom here. If Jesus were to appear right here, would you all hide in empty chairs? Would you run? What would you do? Yeah, we would be, we'd be hallelujah, finally. We would be excited, right? What happens in the tribulation period? They try to hide from God. Kings and princes, political leaders, generals, military leaders, rich and mighty, economic leaders. Why are they hiding from God? They're crying out that the mountains and rocks fall upon them. I'd rather die right here than have to face the, the mighty God. Well, the Old Testament explains that as well. You know, that, that's one of the reasons I, I believe in the pre-tribulation. The, pre the church is in there because the church would embrace that. The church would not respond this way. The world will. The world will. So Revelation 6, I, I can't wait for that day. I, no one's going to try to hide from God. We're going we're to be embracing God. The tree of life, Revelation chapter 2. This is Genesis. This is Proverbs. This is Revelation. In fact, the tree of life is for he who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. Only three books talk about the tree of life. Genesis, Psalms, and Re Revelation. It's a source of divine blessing. It's a source of divine blessing. That's what it is, according to Genesis and Psalms. Uh, how about Lion of Judah and the Root of David, Revelation 5? It says that he is worthy. You know, when, when John is seeing that, he's crying out because the scroll, which I believe is the deed to the earth, the Father gives the deed to the earth to, to the Son, and, and, and there's this seven seals on it, and no one is able to open the seals. And, and John is, is weeping over this, and the elders say, it's okay. He, the slain Lamb of God, is worthy. So we say, we, we sing songs about Jesus being worthy. That's because we have Genesis 49, Isaiah 11. And you have the lamb with seven horns. Well, what is that? I can understand lamb with two. Well, why seven? Well, you're not going to understand it. Unless you have Daniel and 1 Kings and Zechariah, horns equal power. And we had the ten toes from earlier. Well, you have seven now. Three will be defeated. You have seven left. There will be seven world powers in the end times. We talk about the Bible singing a new song. What is a new song? The new song is a song of redemption. The old song is a song of creation. We're all redeemed. I mean, you realize you're redeemed, Correct. When I teach this at the university, I bring in a bottle of Coke, an empty bottle. I like Coke. So I bring an empty bottle in, and I say, what is this bottle worth? And it has states on it. If you take it to Maine or Vermont or somewhere else, it's worth a nickel. So if you travel back then, you bring this into a store, they're going to give you a nickel. What are you worth? Because you're redeemed with a lot more than a nickel. It took the blood of Christ for you to be redeemed. But don't forget that you're redeemed, and don't live in a way that you're not living as a redeemed person. You know, so when you look at this, 
about being redeemed, the new song, the new creation. You read those Old Testament passages, it comes to you. There's 10,000, about, about 10,000 in Revelation 5. 10,000 is the largest number in Greek. It don't get beyond that. It's a Miriam we get past that. So 10,000 is the largest number in, in, in Greek. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 10, it's the four corners and the four winds. Well, that explains Revelation chapter 7. And again, it's too much to go into in one detail, but it becomes a picture of God's protection. Well, how do you know that? Well, Jeremiah and Psalm and 2 Samuel explains that to us. Then you have this one, a seal on the forehead. In the book of Ezekiel, verse, chapter 9, verse 3 and 4, it says, pass through the city through Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over the abominations that are committed in it. You know, Revelation 7 says there's going to be a seal in the forehead. Now, I don't know if this happens in end times or if it's happening now. You know, when the, when the enemy looks at you, does he see something in your forehead? Once you become a believer in Christ, I don't know. I mean, this is, it's a mystery of God, but do we have something there? Do you, do you moan and groan over what's happening in the world? Well, when you sin, do you have sorrow? See, the church doesn't call us out in sin anymore. So if we don't get called out, there's no sorrow. So when you have sorrow, when you have that, when you moan and groan, I'm not going to point fingers, I'm not going to yell, I'm not going to scream. I'm just going to, it just hurts. When you moan and groan, Ezekiel says, well, that's what God says. Put a mark there. I want, I want these people marked. They love me. They believe in me. They service me. And that, that's, that's a mark of honor. You know, that's a very humbling mark as well. But according to Ezekiel, it's those who sigh and groan over the abomination that's taken place. Revelation 8, chapter 1. There's silence in heaven. I have a real bad joke for that. It's not good theology. You want it? You want me to pass on it? Yeah. I, I, I hear a female, female voice. That's not going to be happy with this. But people say, they come to me and say, well, Pastor, you know, there's no women in heaven. What are you talking about? Well, there's no women in heaven. How do you know? Because there's silence for half an hour. <laughs> I warned you beforehand. I warned you beforehand. <laughs> From heaven you pronounce your judgment, for the day of the Lord is near. The earth be silent before him. Habakkuk chapter 2, Zephaniah 1, 1 Samuel 2, Psalm 76. This silence, what God is about to do, what God is about to do to the earth, the only proper response is silence. All of heaven and earth will be silent as God begins to do the final part of judgment. Revelation 9, the great Euphrates River. Well, this is where the Garden of Eden was in this area. The sin began. The first murder was committed. Where the flood began. Where the Tower of Babel was. And Nimrod, beginning a false religion. You see all this through the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. Is it difficult? No. Is it scary? No. But it bothers me deeply that we, deeply that we will not talk about it. You know, another survey recently said that only 2% of pastors, 2%, will preach on end times. Only 2%. And you can talk to Tim afterwards. I mean, how many times we reach out to pastors and we just don't either get a response or don't get a welcome. That's why I'm so thankful for you guys. Once COVID hit, that number went from 2% to 6%. But 6% said they're thinking about it. They're considerate. But only 2% of pastors, according to LifeWay Research, say that pastors are willing to preach on end times and prophecy. Now, as I mentioned earlier in the first time I was, I was with you guys, a major earthquake is coming, one that we've never seen before. And again, in Phoenix, we don't get earthquakes. We get dust storms. They go 100 feet tall. They go a mile wide. They come in. Everything gets covered with that. But how would you feel if you weren't feeling too well? And you went to a doctor. 
And he said, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just, something's, I don't know. And the doctor said, well, we'll run some tests. And he runs a test and he calls you back in a week. And you go back and see him. Now, the doctor likes you, doesn't want to upset you, doesn't want you to be concerned, wants you to come back, wants you to be a patient. So the tests come back, but it's not good. It's, in fact, it could be a very fatal disease that you have. So you come back and say, doctor, the test results come back? Yeah, I get the test results back. Well, what's going on? Am I okay? Oh, yeah, you're, you're fine. Everything's good. You, you could be fine. You're perfect. Everything is good. You'll go out and live a wonderful life. And you go and you go, oh, good. You call your family. You call your whatever. Uh, doctor said everything's clear. I'm good. And then you find out later on that you're deathly sick. What do you think about that doctor? How angry are you with that doctor? What about, how would I tell you if only 2% of doctors would tell you if you were ill or not? See the picture we're painting? This is why the church, and the church is not a building. The church is the people. That we need to be saying, this is what we need to talk about. We need to understand, because there's a hurricane coming, coming called this tribulation. Do you understand what's going to happen in the tribulation period? Do you understand that the rapture could happen at any moment? Tribulation could be, it could be in our lifetime. Do you realize there's people you love, people you care for, who are going to be left behind and going to go through the tribulation period? We don't think about that. We don't talk about that. Out of sight, out of mind. But do you realize what's going to happen in that time frame. And when I break it down, people kind of get upset and they get, they get kind of concerned. But Revelation, right now, the population in, America, in the world, right now, it's 8 billion people. 8 billion people. Right, if it happened right now, we've got a population of 8 billion people. Revelation chapter 6, the fourth seal says there will be death to a quarter of them. The Bible says a quarter of the world population is going to die by sword, famine, and disease. Well, what's a quarter of 8 billion? Two billion. So now the world has six billion people. Can you imagine an event where two billion people pass away? And then after that, you get into Revelation chapter 9, the sixth trumpet. There will be death to one-third of the earth population by fire, smoke, and sulfur. Just, just put that in perspective. So a current population, eight billion people. The fourth seal will leave six billion. The sixth trumpet, one-third. That's another two billion people. And you have 4 billion people left. Half the world population will not survive that seven-year period. And we're not counting the ones that were martyred. We're not counting how many are under the altar in the fifth seal. Folks, when you put this in perspective, what do you say? The people that you love and care for, they need to know about Bible prophecy and what's coming. We need to talk about this. If a hurricane, if a hurricane Sandy was to come back, what would you all do? You would be prepared. And the church needs to say, time out. You know, Bible prophecy is not scary. This book is not scary. But it's telling you, there's a double blessing here to understand this. We need to, we need to really get ready. This needs a sense of urgency. Well, if that many people are going to die, then there's no hope. Yes, there is hope. What's the hope? Receive Jesus Christ. Be in the rapture. Be taken out of here. Before God brings his judgment, he removes his righteous. You have eternal life. Don't worry about the tribulation. Think about eternal life. Think about giving your life to Christ because now it's real. We can put real numbers. He's put a quarter and he put a third. He's given us real numbers. Tim mentioned before about Matthew 24 and birth pains. You know, this picture of Jesus and the boys, they're, they're at the temple and they're walking around and looking at how, how amazing this building is. You know, King Herod was a master builder. He should have been known for that. He was a madman, so he was known for being a madman, but he was a master builder. You do the Western Wall tunnels, there's, there's stone there that are literally 100 tons. You know, I have one person stand down here, we go to another person, we have them stand down there, and we take a picture and see how far away it is. It's like 90 feet. That's one stone that was lifted up, moved, and put in place. 
Hammer with, and then, then he chisels everything's out and puts it in a frame. He's a master builder, but when you look at Matthew 24, they're, they're leaving the temporaria, and, and Jesus begins to preach on end times. It's the Olivet Discourse. Olivet, meaning the Mount of Olives Discourse, meaning teaching. And he talks about the birth pains, as Tim did earlier. Any woman who is a mother, you understand birth pains, you understand they get more severe and then they, get, they come faster as you're about to give birth. What are the birth pains? First one is widespread deception. Do we have any deception happening in our world? Yeah. The war, we have, you know, we talked about this earlier, civil unrest. Uh, you know, in 2011, dictators were taken out, the Arab Spring. We started to see that. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, natural disasters, persecution. There will be a time as a pastor when I will get behind the pulpit and I will preach on biblical marriage and that would be a hate crime. There will be a time when pastors who are, who are sincere to the word will preach on, on, on gender, that it's male and female, and that would be a hate crime. You know, so that persecution is coming to us. People are going to abandon the faith, First Timothy. And the gospel, the, the last one is the gospel was preached around the world. Now, the birth pains happen in the tribulation, and they happen beforehand as well. But when you look at this teaching on the Olivet Discourse, people will say, well, you know, as Tim mentioned, it's always been that way. There's always been earthquakes. There's always been famines. There's no sense of urgency now. Can I, can I put a, that whole thing to rest right now? Can I give you a, a response to that? Because what happens is people say, well, yeah, you know, my grandfather, my this and that. Yeah, everybody's talked about that. You know, earthquakes in the 1600s, it killed thousands of people. And then, okay, I understand that. But scripture interprets scripture. Jesus gave this picture of the end times. But also in scriptures, three things that have to happen for these things to kick in. And when you look at this, first of all, Israel has to be a nation, which means anything before 1948 doesn't count. Any earthquake before 1948, any famine before 1948 wouldn't count because Israel wasn't a nation. Another thing that has to happen is Jerusalem has to be the capital, the center of everything. And that didn't happen until 1967. So any earthquake or famine until then doesn't, doesn't happen until then. Uh, Jews have to be back in the land. We don't think about this, but, you know, the Reformation period, if you understand church history, again, three lenses, scripture, history, the Reformation period is where we get most of our teaching, most of our Christian doctrine from, you know, that just becomes that time, and, and Martin Luther, in fact, Martin Luther wrote two commentaries on Zechariah, one in German, one in Latin, didn't finish either one, because he looked at Zechariah 14 and said, this has never happened, it talks about Israel, and Israel's not a nation, they've been gone 1,500 years, it makes no sense to me, he didn't deal with it. You know, John Calvin, the people from the Reformation period, the ones that we know, didn't deal with it. They didn't teach on Israel because Israel wasn't around. But according to Scripture, we have to have, the state of Israel was reestablished on May 14, 1948, as Tim said earlier. But that's Isaiah 66. That's Ezekiel 37. Without that, we don't have Matthew 24. And with, with the Jews being, once again, being reoccupied in Jerusalem, that's Zechariah chapter 8. They didn't get to occupy that city again until 67. And the Jewish people being regathering, there's only two regatherings in Scripture. One is from Babylon when he brings them back from exile, and the second one is the end times when he brings them from the rest of the world back to Israel. And, and we go over there one time. We were going to the West Bank. We were going actually to Jacob's tomb, I mean, Jacob's well. And, and we got stopped by the military. And they walked on our bus. And they, this is IDF, this is Jewish military. They're, they're wonderful. IDF is wonderful to be around. But this one kid, and they're 19, 20-year-old kids. And, and this one soldier walked in, and he had red hair. And I went, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're not, you're not from here. Where are you from? I, there's no redheads in Israel. Red heifers, but no redheads. <laughs> and he says, no, I'm from Cincinnati. 
And I said, well, why are you here? He said, I don't know. God just called me back here. I said, do you have family here? He says, no, I'm, I'm just, I just, I just you know, felt called coming around. Join the IDF. And I can't tell you, I have conversations. I have many conversations like that with people, especially in the service, young people in the service, who aren't from Israel. They're from New York. They're from Jersey. They're from here. And they, they get called back. God is calling back his people. Why? It's the end times. Now, folks, this is important to you. Do you realize that we are living in the only generation so far that qualifies for Matthew 24? This is us. This is it. Israel, Jerusalem, the Jews, the technology, as Tim talked about earlier, the, the world politics, the signs of the times, all, all that is finally coming together. I'm not saying what God's going to do or when God's going to do it. Only he knows and his time will be perfect. But you need to understand the day that you live in. Jesus said, look at the fig tree. Look at the fig tree. You can see what season you're in. Does it have leaves? You know what season it is. Does it have fruit? You know what season it's in. Is it bare? Then you know what season it is in. When, when, I, when I told my wife I was coming back here, you know, to New Jersey in October, she says, oh, you're going to see the, the trees changing colors. So one of the first pictures I had to send home was the trees changing colors. You know, what season is it? You know. How do you know that? Jesus says the same thing about this. Isaiah chapter 11. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people, and he will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. You know, to understand really what's happening is that you understand a Jewish wedding. With a Jewish wedding, you, you have the guy who likes the girl, and what he does, traditionally, he'll bring a cup to her, and he will offer her the cup, and she, it's, it's, he, it's like a proposal. And the girl now has the choice. She's either going to receive the cup or say, no, thank you. Uh, we take communion. We say, you know, Jesus says, this is my cup. And he gives us a cup. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Well, once this, this girl, if she does receive the cup, then legally, not physically, legally, they, the covenant is sealed between them. So once you become a believer, you take communion, you take the cup. Legally, the covenant is sealed between Jesus and his bride, the church, you and I. And then once that happens, once it's illegally, once the covenant is in place, what happens to the, to the groom and what happens to the future bride? The bride goes back to her father's house and she has two things to do. She has to be pure and she has to prepare. The parable of the 10 virgins tell us that five did not even care about the spiritual condition. They weren't prepared. So the, 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 the virgin, the girl goes back and she's going to be faithful and she's going to prepare for when her husband comes. The man goes back to his father's house, and he starts to add on. When we go to Israel, you have Mary's cave where, the, where Gabriel spoke to her, and they put the hugest church, the biggest church in all the Middle East over that. But where they really were was Joseph's thing. And you go over, over Joseph's shop, and his little chapel over it. But this is where it all took place, really. That's where they grew up. But when you look at the, the, the husband, he goes back to his father's house and he starts to build on. I joke with my wife because I'm not very handy. And, and if, if she would be waiting for me to, to build on, to, to bring my wife, she may never have made it. <laughs> when do we know it's time for the, for the wedding? When the son comes back and starts to build on, the father would say, okay, son, go get your bride. And when he says, go get your bride, the party breaks out, the celebration breaks out. Again, we had the birth pains. 
And then there is dancing, there's, there's, there's singing, there's all kinds of celebration as, as the groom is coming. And all the, the virgins who are waiting for the, the groom, they don't know which one's coming. They all rush out to see, is it, my, is it my groom? Is it my husband? Is he coming for me? Is it my day? Is it my wedding day? Like we're waiting for the Lord Jesus. And as the groom is coming back, this is, gets very interesting because once they, he comes back, he goes to get his bride. In the Jewish culture, they would pick her up like this, and they will, it's, this is called flying away the bride. What is the rapture? There's the holy goosebumps just talking about it. That's the rapture. We're flying away. The shofar blows, and the Jewish culture says the bride is about to fly away to her groom. Amen. How many of us can say, oh, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. We're ready to fly away, but until then, we have work to do. Until then, we have work to do. And let me remind you, let me close with this. Revelation chapter 13. Uh, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is he who what? Who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. Folks, the only way to understand Revelation is through the Old Testament. God bless you.